morning. Good to see you this morning. Good to be in the presence of God and in the fellowship with one another. Well, this is Pentecost Sunday. Hallelujah. Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church. There would be no church if it would not be for the Holy Spirit. There would be no church if it would not be for God providing the Holy Spirit for us. Question is why? Why is there Pentecost? What is it all about? I'd like to share that this morning. And what is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you that you are welcome here and you are here among us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are able to take the faith that we have in our hearts and multiply it because it's not about us, it's about you. It's about what you can do. We see the work of what you have done in the early church. And Lord, we want to pray, do it again. Do it again. Send your Holy Spirit in a way that we would go forth to multiply not only our faith, but also to multiply believers, those who are coming into a relationship with you because your Holy Spirit is able to do far more than we could ever imagine. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray, as we encounter your word today. We invite you to change us. We invite you to speak to us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to take the word of God and to apply it to our heart like it was a sword that separates the soul and the spirit that is able to surface that place within us that, that bucks you, that resists you, so that we may melt in your arms today. We desire your word to bring us into deep, closer relationship with you and the mission that you desire to do through our lives and through this body. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Pentecost Sunday marked the beginning of the church uh, around 2,000 years ago, and God's plan and God's timing are always perfect. Jesus was crucified at the end of the week-long Passover celebration. The Jewish authorities were urging the Romans to crucify Jesus immediately following his capture, since they could not do anything on their Sabbath, which was Saturday. And so his trials and crucifixion took place quickly on what we now know as Good Friday. The Jewish Sabbath ended, marked the end of the Passover celebration. And the first day following Passover, Sunday, another celebration started. And it was known as the First Fruits. It marked the first fruits of the barley harvest. And so they brought the first fruits of the barley harvest to the priest, and then the priest would hold it up for a wave offering. There was a wave offering for the barley harvest. 
The directive of first fruits was given in Leviticus 23.10, that they should bring the harvest to the priest and he would do a wave offering. The only problem was they were in the wilderness. And so they couldn't really do that. So the first fruits was not celebrated until the Israelites came into the promised land and they began growing crops for themselves. Until then, the Lord was feeding them during the exodus and into Canaan. Jesus rose on the day of first fruits through the plan of God the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 tells us, Now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the pledge of the greater resurrection harvest to come, so that through his death we have eternal life. Jesus died and was buried at Passover. But he rose from the dead on the third day, which is the feast of the first fruit. But the plan of God continued to unfold. This is a Jewish story, folks. This is a story that continues. It's not a new story. It's a continuous story. Pentecost, or Shavuot, was, was and still is a Jewish festival. It marked the festival of weeks, which took place 50 days following the Pentecost celebration. One day after, plus seven weeks, or 49 days added together, is 50. Pentecost simply means 50 days. It celebrated, not the barley harvest, but it celebrated the early wheat harvest, which again would be given to the priest. And the priest would make a wave offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. It was the second of three pilgrim festivals on the Jewish religious calendar. On this day of Pentecost, following Jesus' ascension, God would provide his people with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not to establish a new religion, but to fulfill the promise of a helper who would abide in those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It was his rejection by the majority of Jewish people that allowed the Gentiles, you and me, hallelujah, it allowed the Gentiles to be grafted in to the promises of God. Pentecost does not stand by itself. It marked the beginning of Christianity, but it marked God's vision for how he would help, help his believers to live it out in their lives. So each of these Religious celebrations in the Jewish calendar fit perfectly into God the Father, bringing God the Son and God the Holy Spirit into fellowship with his children. Just as he did in the Exodus, 
at Pentecost, God declares that he will continue to feed his children through the spiritual harvest of Jesus, through the provision of the Holy Spirit, who would take everything about Jesus and would bring it to reality for the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of God's amazing love and destiny for his believers. And so we celebrate today that provision that marks the beginning of the Christian church because the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. So the Holy Spirit is not for our pleasure or our purposes alone. The Holy Spirit is meant to lead us into holiness to accomplish God's purposes and not our own. You only need the Holy Spirit's work if you truly want to follow the way of Christ. Otherwise, why would you need the Holy Spirit? So if you're here today and say, I want to follow Jesus Christ, I want the work of God that was accomplished in Jesus to be a work that God does in my life, then you need the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has been sent to take the things of Jesus and what Jesus has done and reveal them to us, make them known to us so that we can experience the fullness of the first fruit and then God's continuous fruit in our lives. As the Apostle Paul said, we no longer live. Christ lives in us. And the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So it's not about how much of the Holy Spirit you have. It's how much the Holy Spirit has you. How much does the Holy Spirit have you? Because if we are committing ourselves to Christ and we invite the Holy Spirit of the living God to come into our lives, the Holy Spirit will lead us the way of the cross. It definitely may not be a comfortable place. It's certainly not going to be a place where God says, what's your will? I'll do it for you. It's a will where we die, Christ sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit feeds us. The Holy Spirit feeds us. It's our, the Holy Spirit is our spiritual nourishment because we don't know how to do it in our lives. So I'd like to turn to uh, two passages of Scripture, and one of them is in Romans, where Paul talks about um, the work of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has come. We open our hearts, and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you just like that young lady. 
just like the young lady at comfort. Now what happens? Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. And I also invite you to turn to uh, Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I write to quite a few people that are in prison, and I got a letter the other day, an email. You can email. Uh, and um, this person who um, came to Christ a number of years ago, and, and he's back in jail, uh, he wrote this really um, upfront and personal, um, and I could kind of see in, into his heart, uh, where he said, I'm hope, I hope I'm set free from this prison. He's talking about all the things that he doesn't like, and he says, I hope I'm set free from this prison. So I wrote him back, and I told him what I was preaching on a day, and I typed out the text, 
and, and I said, you know, you can be in jail and not be in prison. You can be free. And I said, it sounds to me like you're struggling with the freedom that you already have in Christ. Because he said, I hope to be set free from the prison. And I wrote back and said, I'm praying that you're set free from the prison of your, of your flesh. Because that keeps him imprisoned. He reads some scripture and he's excited and I'll get an email. He's really excited. And then the next day, boom, his flesh just pulls him back down. Right? I mean, and it's up and down and up and down. And I'm, I'm watching this. I'm watching, I'm watching him spiritually. And I send him all of these scriptures and, and he reads them and I think he even memorizes them. But tell me, why is there nothing going on spiritually in his heart, in his life? I think because of the passage that we have here today. Because he's saying, I pray for the Holy Spirit. I pray the Holy Spirit will get his hands on me. And I wrote him back, and this is what I said. That there is not one good thing in your flesh. There's not one good thing about your flesh. That's what Paul said in Romans 7.18. There is nothing of value to God in your flesh. It cannot, it cannot lead you to eternal life. What it's going to do is, it's going to lead you to death because our bodies, whether you've noticed it or not, our bodies do not get redeemed on this side of the grave. Every person is going to die. We feel the ailments, but every one of us is going to have to feel the effects of the fall. And that is, our bodies were not to be redeemed so our bodies our flesh if you will our flesh is our old address it's the address where we used to live because now we have a new address it's a new address that we have gotten through the the power of the holy spirit that god says jesus has given us a new address it's not to live in these old bodies and to make these old bodies better. It is to die. To die. We die to ourself. We die to the self that we have created. And that's why our flesh must die. God does not want our flesh in heaven. And He's not going to fix our flesh here on earth. But my friend in prison, I wrote him back and I said, you are a lion tamer. I said, you're trying to whip your flesh into shape. I said, it cannot be done. You want to see what happens when you live in the flesh? All of the acts that Paul noted in Romans, in, uh, in, in Galatians. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness. Whoa, whip yourself into shape. Whip your flesh into shape. 
but it cannot be done because the flesh is totally diseased. All the flesh attracts like a magnet is sin. And sin appeals to the flesh because sin pleases the flesh. It seeks to serve and please self rather than serve and please God. So you say then, why is my flesh so dominating? Because it's been in control for a long time. It's exactly what Adam and Eve dealt with when they chose their selfishness over God's obedient rule. So the way to overcome the flesh is not by being a lion tamer and trying to whip it and and get it obediently under control. It's to grow the new you. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not the only one that's the first fruit. You and I have been raised from the dead. We've been raised by Christ. And in Christ, the scripture says, we are a new creation. So stop fixing your gaze on the old you. Stop trying to feed your flesh. We're called, rather, to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Our flesh is like a dead battery, and we keep trying to recharge it, thinking that there's something that we can do that we need to do. Yes, here's what we're called to do. We're called to die. We are called to die to ourself. We're called to die to our flesh. The only answer, Paul says in Romans 8.13, for the flesh is putting to death the deeds of the body. And guess who gives you the authority to do that? Right there in verse 13. The Holy Spirit gives you the authority. Authority. Paul understood this because he said, Who will set me free from this body of death? Who is going to do that? Only God can set us free from that body of death. Now, when Paul talks about the body of death, it's it's really pretty interesting. In his day, if you killed someone, one of the ways that you might be punished was the person that you killed was tied to your body in the front. And so you faced that person all the time because they were somehow tied to you. And what happened was you smelled the stink of death and that cadaver would sign your death warrant because as decay happened in the cadaver, it would begin to penetrate the pores of your skin, poisoning your blood, and ultimately killing you. So you were looking death in the face as you dragged a dead body around. What you wanted more than anything else was release from this body. It was release 
from the flesh. But you know, we, we drag around things with us that we say, this is killing me, I know I shouldn't be doing that, but I'm getting something out of it. It's like carrying a piece of candy around with you. And then, oh, and you need pleasure, so you take it, right? The body has no ability to bring you any spiritual pleasure. You will die. Now that's a gruesome image that Paul paints, but it pictures well what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, I'm dragging around with me the dead carcass of my sinful flesh. I am dragging it around with me. And it was dead because it had been put to death by Christ. When Christ died, His crucifixion was my crucifixion. It was my crucifixion. The death of my flesh died. But Paul says, I'm still carrying it around with me. And it's killing me. It is absolutely killing me. And then Paul in verse 25 says, Jesus alone can release me from this body of death. And he does it through the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. The power and authority of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying here is, give up trying to tame your flesh. Invite the Holy Spirit because your flesh has invaded your soul. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, for the saving of your soul. Our souls need to be saved. When we come to Christ at the cross, we die, Christ lives in us. That now is who we are. Our identity is we are children of the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords of all creation now has come to take up residence in us. It is Christ who lives in us, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is able to raise us. So we are a new creation. What makes the flesh so strong are the beliefs that we carry and bring with us. We bring those beliefs with us that are housed in our souls. And our souls are our minds, our wills, and our emotions. And just because we come to Christ doesn't mean that everything is automatically, at that moment, cleansed and that there's 100% truth in our souls. I don't have to. I'm preaching to the choir. You absolutely understand what I'm saying. But the Holy Spirit was sent at Pentecost because, as the writer to the Hebrews says, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and the Word of God becomes a double-edged sword. And that double-edged sword is able to divide between what? Soul and spirit. So that double-edged sword is able to come in, make the cuts, and say, here it is. Here's the place that you need the Holy Spirit's truth and the Holy Spirit's power. Here it is, right here. 
right there. Because I'll tell you what happens. You can go to a Holy Spirit rally. You can go to a Holy Spirit rally. You can get all excited, and I would if I was at a Holy Spirit rally. I can be all excited, and I can see people really looking like something is setting in them. But I've talked to so many Christians who say, I can do that. I'm going through the motions, but I don't feel a thing. I don't feel a thing. The place to look is in your soul. Because your flesh is still fighting a battle. It's fighting a battle. And then the pleasures come in, and the pleasures of the flesh will come and win the day. That's why the Word of God is so important. The Word of God alone is able to penetrate, to divide the soul and the spirit. Where we have been scarred by sin, may be our own, it may be the sins of others, but those scars are there. And they are almost impenetrable. And we keep living in those scars and bringing them back over and over again. When you became a believer, the scar tissue did not drop off. Our souls need the ministry of the Holy Spirit's surgery in our hearts, in our souls, in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can remove that scar tissue of the soul. And that's what the Holy Spirit has been sent to do. Under the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we experience God's truth in our souls. And when that happens, then the Holy Spirit is free to minister to us. The Holy Spirit is free to pour out and to pour into us God's living word so that we can experience the presence of the living Christ in our lives. I want to make sure that I get this right. Some of you know uh, Wayman Howard, and Wayman Howard uh, did Love Works. We did uh, the Love Works ministry in Sunday school here for for a, a, a long time. Some of you were over uh, at Greenmont, um, benefiting from the ministry of Wayman and Sue, and. <clears throat> He is, he, they established a discipleship school in Myanmar, from, formerly Burma. And in that discipleship school, they bring people to the school and they base it on the Word of God, but they invite the Holy Spirit to do the work in people's hearts so that people can see exactly what we see in, in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the indication of whether or not the Holy Spirit has control over your soul. There will be fruit. You can see the fruit. So there's this young man. I'll, I'll call him Ong. And uh, this is what Wayman Howard says. He is our disciple and he attended our discipleship school in Myanmar five years ago. He has remained a disciple and has submitted to the work of God's love in his heart and the Holy Spirit. He joined our school as an unbeliever, 
about that. Many of people come, they're unbelievers. They don't believe when they come. It's a heavy Buddhist population. So he didn't know Jesus at all and was practicing Buddhism. Within the first few weeks of discovering the love of Christ, during the weeks of experiencing love, love bears all things, which is 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Ong encountered the great love of Christ and abandoned the emptiness of Buddhism for the one true and living God, Jesus Christ. He is a humble laborer in life, presently working as a painter of houses, but wherever he is, he shines as a man full of patience and the kindness of the Lord. Recently, the Myanmar military have been on a quest for more land and homes, both for the use of the military, but also for the use of the officers to make them rich. Thousands of people have had their land and homes taken and forced to simply take their belongings and leave. This has been met with resistance by the people, but it always ends in death for the civilians and the military takes their land in the end. While here in Myanmar at the moment, Michael, one of the workers in the discipleship school, has taken me to the areas where the military has done this. After they take the land, they come in and destroy the houses. They leave the land desolate and full of rubble. This prohibits the return of the owners as there is now only rubble and ashes. Can you imagine if your own military treated you in this manner? The thought is terrifying and infuriating. The military had their eyes on some land and some homes in the city, one of the cities, that Ong's parents lived in. He says this area was where Ong's family and their family home has been forever. When he heard this, he was distraught. His family is Buddhist, and they have been watching his life change because of the love of Jesus. This has been wonderful for them because he was a troublemaker to them, and the transformation they have experienced from his life has blessed them, even though they are Buddhist. Ong, Ong's love for his family stirred something new inside of him. This is the Holy Spirit. It was faith, stirred by the Holy Spirit. As the military moved through the region, forcing families out of their homes and burning many of them to the ground, some stood to fight the injustice, and they were killed. Ong was moved by the power of the Holy Spirit not to fight in a carnal way, but to fight in a way that brings God upon the scene. He fought in prayer. Love for his family stirred his faith in a way that was new to him. Violence and rage was the only familiar thing to him. Not faith born out of love in Christ. Love, driven by the Holy Spirit, led him to proclaim boldly that their home would not be taken. He went to the site and declared in Jesus' name that the enemy would not take their home. He declared safety for his family and for the divine intervention of God. Oh, his love was inspiring his faith to pray. Do you understand the scripture through Ong, action of prayer and faith? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, Galatians 5, 6. Too many are taught to practice a faith disconnected from God's love. This is a selfish faith that seeks its own. Paul tells us that love does not seek its own, and yet we have 
teaching today that instructs people to practice faith to get what they want. If love is not the source of our faith, then something else is. Often it is simply greed or selfish ambition. Faith without love will still accomplish powerful things, and this is where many are deceived. No one imagined Ong's prayer to have any true result, but it did. As the military raised the region, all the homes were destroyed and the land was taken. But when all the fighting and destruction ended, one house remained untouched. Ong's family land and home. All of our disciples here in Myanmar were amazed at the hand of God that intervened through Ong's faith that was born of love. Today, his family has been so impacted by what happened that they have embraced Christ. Now, they still believe in Buddha, but God is patient. He does not wish for them to be destroyed, but to come to to full repentance. The Holy Spirit will finish the work. Um, Then he goes on to ask, us to pray but that to me is an example of the Holy Spirit grabbing on to a young man's heart who five years ago did not even know who Jesus was and he was a young man who was who would rage his family actually put him out because of his anger and his rage But God got a hold of him. The Holy Spirit got a hold of him and has worked a work of the Holy Spirit in his heart so that he now is able to go forth into the community and encourage people to trust God and believe that God is able to do more than we can see or more than we can imagine. So the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a work that releases us from the enemy of the flesh and the Holy Spirit brings us into the identity that we now have in Jesus Christ so that we no longer are tossed about to and fro, but that the flesh is under the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so I I just pray for a work of God in each of our lives, as we, as we continue um, and as we desire to know what God has in mind for this congregation, the best thing that we can do is to face our own flesh that is dead, that we're still carrying around. Because it stinks. It's no good. There's nothing that the flesh can produce in us but it is the Holy Spirit's transforming ability to take God's word, apply it to our heart and our soul, separate our soul and our flesh, and enable us to walk in the power of God's truth and his Holy Spirit. Let's pray.